Blue Wire. Touchdown pass, 5-4-0 in the 5-0-4. Jackson takes it himself, look at him dart back and forth. Oh, he broke his ankle. Watson stays on his feet, throws on the run, touchdown. Watson, a magician. Mahomes winds it up wide open. Welcome to another episode of the My Sports Update Football Podcast. I am your host, Ari Mayerov. We enter the month of June after a week like I've never seen before. George Floyd's murder by Minneapolis police, which is just so horrifying, so horrifying, just terrible, has led to protests around the country and riots and just absolute madness all over and every time you scroll through social media or you flip the channel whatever you're doing that is what is being covered so it was very important to me that on this week's episode we will talk football but the guest that comes on is someone who could talk about what is going on who could tell us what could be done to help and solve this major major issue it was very important to me that we make that happen so Cameron Wolf is my guest for this week's episode. He covers the Dolphins for ESPN. And we talked about George Floyd. We talked about the protest. We talked about what could be done to help out. And then we talked some football as well, including the Dolphins, Tua, Brian Flores, and much more. It is a one of the, probably one of the most um, important episodes I've done of this of this podcast because it wasn't just football. There's more to this, and it was crucial to make this happen. Before we go to my discussion with Cameron, a quick word from our exclusive partner, BetOnline.ag. There is no shortage of action going on at our exclusive partner, BetOnline. NASCAR is back, and BetOnline has hundreds of other games, events, and sports to get in on. You can still bet on simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC events 24-7. Or you can participate in a $10,000 Madden Bracket Challenge. And live right now, if you have not seen this yet, on BetOnline's YouTube channel, you will find an exclusive interview with ex-Chicago Bulls Ron Harper, Horace Grant, Bill Cartwright, and Craig Hodges to discuss the Michael Jordan documentary on what they are calling the final dance. Visit betonline.ag and use the promo code BLUEWIRE, B-L-U-E-W-I-R-E, to receive your new welcome bonus and check out all the action that they have going on. BetOnline, your online wagering solution. So now here is my discussion with ESPN's Cameron Wolf. I feel like this is a discussion that not only you should listen to, but you should make sure other people listen to as well. Listen to what Cameron says as a black person, what it feels like and what it has felt like for so many years. It is time to open up our ears and listen and to understand. And then after we finished talking about that, we had a great discussion about the Dolphins and some other football stuff as well. So here it is, my full discussion with Cameron Wolf. Alrighty, joining me now here on the My Sports Update Football Podcast, he is an ESPN NFL reporter covering the Miami Dolphins. It is Cameron Wolf. Cameron, what's going on? How are you? I'm doing all right. How are you? I'm doing well myself. I appreciate you coming on here today. You know, it's been a tough last week. It's no secret 
that this is a football podcast, but this week we are going to start off somewhere else and then move on to football. Everyone has seen the George Floyd video by now, and it just cannot be ignored. It is awful. It is terrible. It is outrageous. I just want to start by talking to you about what's going on here in the world, what happened in Minnesota, what has been your overall thoughts, and what's gone on over the last week. I think as a black man, it's been a very heavy week for me. Um, You know, I I think it's important to note that none of this is new. Uh, I think for most of my life, I, I felt like that you know, um, there was an issue with police brutality. There was an issue with, you know, black men and women being targeted at the hands of police. And I think that this current uh, circumstance with George Floyd has just made it really visible on the national scale. And, you know, it's hard to ignore, you know, the officer holding his knee on his, on, on, on George Floyd's neck for over eight minutes, you know? So I think that it really forced uh, America and the larger uh, spectrum of America to really look at itself and ask, um, is this something that we can continue to tolerate? Um, am I doing enough to, to stop this from happening? Um, so I, I think that for me, I've had a wide range of emotions. I've been frustrated. I've been angry. Um, I've been confused. I've been tired. That may be the, the, the most frequent emotion. Um, because like I said, this, this is not new. This is something that kind of reminds me of 2016 um, when that summer we had you know, multiple killings of, of black men um, by police officers, you know, within a week. Um, and and I, I think that nothing has got better. And, you know, I think a lot of times as a black man and as a journalist, I have to kind of weigh both of those things and that, you know, my job asks me to provide an escape for people um, to talk about sports. But as a black man this week, I haven't felt like escaping or writing about sports very often. So I've had to grapple um, with that. Um, and I, I know this country, we've seen a lot of people speaking out about this incident and, and you know, preaching, you know, a need for change and a need for action. Um, my hope is that when this story kind of dissipates from the news as, as, it, as it typically does in cycles, um, that people will still have that same desire because a lot of people have this same, you know, desires and feelings four years ago and here we are again. Um, so. Uh, I think my general hope and prayer is that, you know, we'll actually see the change that we've been hoping and praying for and asking for uh, for so long. Yeah, you know, for me, the way this has gone, and you're right, it's not just this week. It's been going on for a long time, but I've realized there are times to talk, there are times to speak, there are times when we have to listen. And when we start listening, we start learning. And I'm listening now, I've been listening over the last week, and I'm going to continue to listen. But what has to be done to get past this? What has to be done for people in the country to understand what is going on in regards to race relations? You covered the Dolphins, Kenny Stills and Albert Wilson. They kneeled during the anthem to raise awareness. I do feel like people are starting to wake up a little bit, but what else do you feel has to be done here? That's very interesting. I think uh, an important element is what you just mentioned, listening. Um, but my main thing, and I've kind of told this to some of my um, you know, friends and, and people who may not understand exactly what I've been dealing with. You know, I've had a lot of white friends uh, reach out to me this week and ask how I'm doing. And I told them it was really appreciated because that listening and that care is something that um, is very important because I think a lot of times black people when stuff like this happens and um, we feel alone, we feel like it's only our fight. 
Um, so I, I think that, you know, one is, is listening, one is caring, one is, 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 is jumping in, in, in as well and knowing that this is an American fight and not just a black fight. Um, and I, I think the, the larger scale of, of race relations, I think it comes down to um, the group of people who are largely not affected by it have to be wanting change for change to particularly happen. I think in, in these circumstances, you typically have um, extreme groups from both sides. You have people who are adamant against this and they preach about this on a, on a daily basis and they are very vocal and it doesn't matter if it's visible on video or not. They are against police brutality and, and they hate it and they, and they say it every chance they get. And then you have people who make excuses and say that, you know, this guy probably did something wrong or, you know, maybe the police had a reason or this. And they're always defending the actions and saying there's no way that this person, you know, just got killed because he was black. Um, but I think there's a larger group in the middle. You know, I don't know what that percentage is, but a larger group of Americans who feel uncomfortable talking about race, feel um, like it's not their place to discuss when things happen. They'd rather stay silent and let the facts stay, stay in place. And I think that for, for people to understand and, and for people to actually create change, those people who typically remain silent have to realize that, you know, they have, they have a voice. And, you know, those are the people that can help race relations when you realize that, hey, it's not, okay, it's not enough just to not be racist. You want to be anti-racist. And there's a difference between the two. You know, not racist is a very passive way of saying, hey, you know, the quote unquote, I've got black friends or, you know, I, 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 I don't I don't want to see black people killed. But what are you doing about it? Um, and I think that's where we are. And I think that's, you know, I hope that if anything comes out of this last couple of weeks, you know, hopefully we get justice and hopefully people realize that it's not OK to just be silent and you can't be an ally by being silent. And uh, I, I think that's where we are as a country and and hopefully that's where change can start yeah and you're right this is a topic that many people previously ran away from and and some people still are but richard sherman who has been very vocal about this told sports illustrated that he's happy to see guys like carson wentz joe burrow and trevor lawrence and um andy dalton and nick Foles. Josh Rosen, they all come out and they say something about this, but there is just so much more that still has to be done, which brings me to my next question, which is what role could the NFL or what role could sports play in bringing change to this? Football is the biggest and most popular sport in America. All these leagues have power. What do you think is something they can do to help make change? Sports is so significant in, in what we view as in this particular country, you know, um, it's often used the phrase unifier, you know, unification. I don't know how I feel about unity as, as the buzzword that's been put on this particular incident, but in regards to sports, um, it very much unifies people from different races, different creeds, different beliefs to all come together to do that. So I think when there's a unified message behind sports that, hey, this one thing is not acceptable and it transcends the thing that people call um, an escape. I think that's huge. And, you know, I can point to um, Colin Kaepernick's uh, peaceful protest four years ago. Uh, Kenny Stills followed, Eric Reed, you know, Brandon Marshall of the Broncos, uh, uh, Albert Wilson of the Dolphins, um, just to name a few players who have all tried to actively protest. And, um, you know, I've written at length about this, and there was so much outrage um, from people about this people protest. And now you're seeing people 
being angered by the not so peaceful process and saying, hey, why can't they choose another route? Where pro athletes were trying to choose another route and it just wasn't universally acceptable. So I think that once sports comes back, I'd expect, you know, the NBA to have an active voice on this situation, um, the NFL when they return as well. And I think it's up to us to listen and to kind of maybe ignore some of our preconceived notions. You know, there might be people who are really, really big conservatives who really believe in the police and, and, you must know that saying that police brutality is wrong is not anti-police. Everybody should be anti-police brutality, whether you're, you know, a, a lover of the police or not, you know? So I, I think that's something where if you listen and you understand the message and you understand why people are really doing what they're doing, then that can really help. Because um, these athletes have a lot of voices. They come from a lot of different communities. They come from, you know, some come from countries, some come from hoods, some come from different areas that represent America and they're giving voices to their particular community. So I think it's really puts an onus on us to listen um, because those guys can, can have a, a, a far reaching scape on where we are as a country. Right, so earlier today I was listening to the, the Woj podcast and he had Quinn Snyder, who is the coach of the jazz on. Right. And he was saying as a white man, he has been hearing all that is being said and he hears that these people need help and it's not enough to just have support. There has to be a willingness to confront these things. That is what he said. And I hope that message starts to sink in for people because it's just so true. Yep. This will be a tough transition to make, but I want to shift over to football on the Miami Dolphins. I am a big believer in Brian Flores. I think he is the real deal. You have followed him closely for the last year plus. How much of an impact has Flores brought to Miami since arriving last year as a coach and in the community as well? Super, super significant. And I guess, you know, I'll kind of bridge this with talking community and then I'll switch to football. You know, Brian Flores trusted me uh, last in the last week to put out a statement mm -hmm. um, through me uh, about how he was feeling about race relations in this country. And he was the first head coach to do that. And he kind of went on a limb. And obviously he's a black coach um, who, who feels like he's been affected by these issues, but he also took a stance that a lot of coaches and, and, and people in these positions are not always eager to do because of what potential backlash could come. So I, I think that's really a great example of what type of guy they have in Brian Flores. Um, he's not afraid. Um, he's a leader. And he's a guy who's his own man. I know a lot of people talked about the Bill Belichick tree and, you know, him becoming a Patriot coach there. And, of course, he has some Bill Belichick elements. Um, but I think that for, for a team that's been searching for the right head coach since Don Shula retired, mm -hmm. I think they had the right coach. And I, you know, I know he's only went 5-11 and 11 in his first season. He still has lots of to prove. Um, so, you know, maybe you can't crown him yet. But for, for, for more than any other coach that I've maybe covered – I have been able to immediately see the impact um, for him and what he's done in the locker room. There was a point last season um, in September where I was worried that they were going to lose the locker room. They had just traded Laramie Tunsil mm -hmm. um, and Minka Fitzpatrick and Kenny Stills. Um, they were cutting players left and right. There was guys in the locker room who were asking me who the new players were and what what the, what position they played. Um, and there just was a feeling of uncertainty about everything that was going on. And I don't know what he did. Um, there, the player said there wasn't like a kumbaya speech. He was just consistent, and they turned it around. That second half of the year, they went five and four um, in their last nine games and beat the Patriots. Mm -hmm. And with a team that I thought was the worst roster in the NFL last season, so now he gets a lot more talent. Now he has his quarterback of the future, 
And I think the Dolphins have, can check off one box and say that, you know, as a man and as a coach, they have the right guy in Brian Flores. Yeah, you know, you mentioned they went 5-11 and last year. I thought that was really impressive considering the roster that they had. And you also mentioned Flores in the community. Just today, I saw videos of him and Chris Greer loading groceries into trunks of vehicles right. for those in need. I love what he's done and what he's doing for the Dolphins. They have a bright future there. You mentioned the quarterback. It's Tua, drafted number five overall. It's, of course, been a different offseason where we really don't know what's going on. We really can't get to see him much. But what are the early impressions of Tua from coaches and players so far? Oh, man. Uh, Miami loves Tua Tungavailoa. Um I did a... A future article um, a couple weeks ago before everything got chaotic about Tua and it was on the premise of him becoming potentially the Dolphins biggest star since Dan Marino and you know that's something where Marino retired 20 years ago and there's been a lot of really good players who've been here before but I I don't know if any of them have had the potential and the potential star power that Tua's had before even taking a snap on the field Mm -hmm. Um, he hasn't even touched Miami yet he's still in Alabama um, training and rehabbing while all these zoom meetings have come on and he immediately becomes the face of the Dolphins and you know I had a conversation with Dwayne Wade about Tua and he told me something that you know, still sticks with me. And he said, you know, um, this is, this is a, a Dolphins town, you know, the Heat did all they can do to, you know, kind of, kind of wrestle that away for a while. But as the Dolphins get this right, if Tua gets this right, then it's going to be Dolphins town. And then he went on to say that he feels like, you know, if Tua can, can do, can win and do something that, that, other quarterback for him can't do then he can easily become the next face of South Florida sports mm-hmm. and that's a that's a, a place that D Wade had for probably the last 15 years before he retired so there's a lot on the plate for Tua um, one thing that really benefits him is that he seems to be a really humble guy a guy who has a really strong work ethic um, a guy who um, people love to play with you know Nick Saban raved about him we saw him since he was a freshman coming off the bench and winning that national championship game he has it so you know he's gonna have a lot to prove once he gets on the field to prove that he can't just run off his college ability um, but he has a special factor that makes a lot of people believe that he's gonna be the guy that leads them out of mediocrity so um, from what I've heard you know he's been getting along well with his teammates I know he's been contacting guys via texts and, and calls um, you know given that the social distancing period is going on he hasn't got to meet a lot of guys in person um, but I think that once he gets down on the ground he's going to make a great impact on guys in that locker room and whenever they're ready to play him on the field um, I think it's going to bring the the Dolphins into national relevancy uh, for the right reasons for a long time. Yeah but you know you mentioned how he hasn't stepped foot in Miami yet the guy is number one and number two in jersey sales already in white and in Echo, which is absolutely incredible. The draft was just, you know, it was so interesting to me because there were so many smoke screens involving the Dolphins. It was insane. Do you know if there was ever a point where the Dolphins actually leaned Justin Herbert over Tua? Because there was just um, so much going on. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they did an absolutely fantastic job of putting up smoke screens. Um, I had heard so much information um, from everywhere coming up the weeks and months ahead of the draft. Um, and I blocked it out. Luckily, the day I came back from the combine, I wrote on a sheet of paper uh, to a no matter what. I and saw that. I, yeah. felt, I felt that's where they were going um, from everything that I heard. And it, a lot of people told me differently in the weeks ahead. But I think it was all about the medical. 
And I think two weeks before, or a week and a half before the draft, they ended up getting a thumbs up, a final thumbs up on his medical. And I think that made him the guy. I know that they like Justin Herbert, um, but the thing about Justin Herbert um, that he didn't have that Tua did was that it factor, that, that thing, the, the, the thing you can't measure, the intangibles. And I think that's what pushed Tua over the edge for them. So I think they did a masterful job of not trading up. There have been a lot of speculation that they may have to trade up to get their guy. Um, they stayed put and, and got their guy. And that, Chris Greer deserves a lot of credit uh, for how he handled that situation. But my thought was that Tua was their guy if he was healthy, no matter what. And, and they gave him the thumbs up on the medical. Yep, I mean, there really was just so much. At one point, it was like, they're going to trade up to three for an offensive tackle. Like, where is that, where is that coming from? Right. It was Smoke screen season. That's literally what it is. You don't know what to believe and what not to. So, you know, you're looking at it now. There's Tua, there's Fitzpatrick, and there's the forgotten man there in Josh Rosen. His third right. season, he will have his fourth offensive corner centering the NFL now. Is the plan to keep him on the roster? It yeah. seems to be, you know, that's the immediate plan. Um I think if they got a good enough offer, they would have already traded him. Uh, I think that's kind of a, a, a sign of what Josh Rosen's market is. Um, they traded a second and a fifth round pick to Josh, get Josh Rosen. There's no way they would get anything close to that at this point. They might be lucky to get a fifth, yeah. just a fifth. So I think it's at this point where they have to decide, you know, what's the value of Josh Rosen on our roster versus, you know, just shipping them away. And, you know, I think it all comes down to like, what is their plan for Tua? If he's going to end up, redshirting part or all of the season, then Josh Rosen makes sense to keep as a backup for Fitzpatrick. Um, so you don't have to force Tua into action early. But if Tua comes out in training camp and he looks like he's ready to play day one, then maybe there's less of a need for a third quarterback that's going to be inactive. Um, and, and maybe you just ship him away for whatever you can. The interesting element I'm I'm looking out for is what does Josh Rosen say? What does he want? Um, does he want to force his way out? Does he ask for a trade? Um, there's no clear way for him to play into Miami. You know, Fitz yeah. is there in the immediate future. Two is the long-term answer. And he's just kind of stuck there. Um, so maybe he could develop under Chan Gailey. But I think if he hopes to be a, a long-term starting quarterback, which it seems that he does, he's going to have to get traded at some point. So I do think that before it's all said and done, Josh Rosen will be traded. It's just when um, is the question. Yeah, I mean, that that really is the only thing that makes sense considering what the Dolphins have. Now that Tua is there, Fitzpatrick is still there, I would expect the same thing. I want to flip over to the defense quickly because from what it looks like, Brian Flores is all in and really loves his cornerbacks. They signed Byron Jones to that massive deal in free agency. Xavier Howard is still there on a massive deal. They draft Noah Igbenogany in the first round. Were you surprised that they used a one on a cornerback instead of another position? Yeah, I definitely was. I think that was probably the biggest surprise of the draft for me. Everything else kind of went as expected. Um, I think that was just a situation where the player and the fit um, just was perfect for what they wanted. And they kind of ignored positional value. It's funny, as fans, we always tell our teams, don't draft, don't draft for need, don't yeah. draft for need. And then once a, once a team doesn't draft for need, you're like, why don't we draft <laughs> another corner? We have corners. Why don't we draft another position? So it's kind of the, the funny element of, of it all. I thought they were going to be in the market for a safety or a running back at that pick, but they love what, what they what they found in, in Noah. So I think that, you know, it gives you an insight on what Brian Flores wants to do for this defense. They want to run a lot of man-to-man -man, uh, lockdown corners. And now they have arguably one of the best trios in the NFL 
um, at the cornerback position. And, you know, they don't have a lot of true pass rushers, but now they can scheme pressure with the ability to have that coverage on the back end. So I think that, you know, the way the NFL is going where three receivers is a standard on offense, the nickel cornerback position is essentially a starting position. So you have three ideally cornerbacks that can be really good for a long time for you. That's a big win for you. And that's something that most teams don't have. Yeah, you know, I had Jordan Reed, the draft analyst from um, the Draft Network on this podcast before the draft. I asked him to give me a name who isn't getting enough attention. He's like Noel Igbenogany. I was like, I never heard of this guy. Who is this guy? And I see the right. take him in the first round. So clearly, this is a guy who has a lot of potential. Let, let's move to a couple of uh, general questions here. Assuming there is a training camp, we all hope there will be one. What will be the, the biggest storyline surrounding this team? Yeah, I think it starts with Tua, um, and it ends with Tua. <laughs> and in the middle is Tua. It's the simple um, answer, he, yeah. He, he is the um, most important player on their team for the short term and the long term. Um, he's what's going to make them go. Um, people have started to realize this offseason that the Dolphins are going to be a, a, a team that gets national attention more than they ever have, and it's because of Tua. So the storyline will be, is Tua healthy? When is he ready to play? How is he integrating with his teammates? How is him and Fitzpatrick getting along? Um, everything about Tua will be discussed up until training camp. And, you know, there will be some conversation, general conversation about, you know, fans in the stands and whether the season goes on and things that are talked about around the NFL, but particularly with the Dolphins, um, there will be nothing bigger than Tua and everything around Tua. You know, everything is still being done virtually, obviously. And I, I got the sense that coaches and GMs actually enjoy doing the draft at home, being with their kids. We all saw Brian Flores and his two boys, which was awesome. Have you heard anything that players and coaches have taken away from being at home that they will implement to future years when things are back to normal? Yeah, I know Brian Flores and Chris Greer both talked about just the value of being at home during the draft period. And I think that's something that you may see more of. I think you might have, you know, less of keeping scouts and, and GMs and coaches on the road to do all this extra analysis. You know, um, if the draft results go the way they, they, they hope they go, then there could be an argument made that maybe there's too much over analyzing in the draft. Maybe we can do more from home. Maybe we can effectively use Zoom and some of these other platforms to, to be able to do some interviews, to be able to, to do all the stuff that we feel like we have to fly elsewhere to do. So I, I think you may see coaches, you know, even during the season saying, hey, we don't need to be at the office till 10 p.m. We can stop at five and do a couple meetings from home if we need to. Um, so I, I think you're going to just see people be a little bit more hands off in the amount of time that's needed to have a successful football season I think there's always a fear of you're not working hard enough and I think this offseason taught people that you can work hard while being in front of your computer and not necessarily being at the facility or traveling places so I think that's one thing that coaches and even players will be able to take away is that you know um, there are different ways to work hard yeah, but, you know, something that fans don't get to see is just how much work general managers and coaches do during the offseason, during the season. We're talking about 16, 17, 18-hour days sometimes preparing for a game, getting ready for the draft or whatever it is. And Bob Quinn, the Lions general manager, he said to reporters, I believe, after the draft that we could be productive at home. We don't have to be in the office all the time. And I do think that is something that will change once we get back to normal. Let's wrap this up with a quick five i'll do five questions try to keep it short you could expand if you want to right 
And we're going to go back to Tua for number one. Considering the hip, considering the offseason we are in, do you think Tua redshirts in year one? Um, my hope is that he does. I wrote a column saying that he should. Um, ultimately, I do think that he plays a few games this year, um, even though I don't think that should be the best route for them. Number two, last week I put out a tweet of my five most underappreciated players in the NFL. I had Chandler Jones, Levante David, Ryan Ramschek, Keenan Allen, and Tredavious White. you have anyone you think should be added to that list, someone who doesn't get the attention he deserves? Um, Kevin Byard, the safety out of Tennessee. I think he is arguably the best safety in the league, and I think too often he's not in that conversation. Uh, he can do a lot on the field of coverage and in the box. I think that he's one of the best uh, 75 players in the league, and, and he's definitely not spoke of in that respect enough. That's a good one. I'm actually putting together a list on my site of more than five players who are underappreciated or, under, or underrated. Um, I think I'm going to add Kevin Byer. I don't think he's on there yet. Number three, who was your favorite football player to watch growing up? Uh, Brian Dawkins. I grew Brian up an Dawkins. Eagles fan, um, so uh, Weapon X was definitely um, my favorite player to watch. I enjoyed everything about it. I played safety growing up, and I really wanted to be like Brian Dawkins. Unfortunately, I had none of the skill that he had. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of us don't have the skill that he had. <laughs> uh, number four, back to the Dolphins. A player on this Dolphins team that people might not know, but they should start keeping an eye on. Ooh, um, that's a good one. Or someone who doesn't get the attention. Let's put it like that. That, that might have been a tougher question, yeah. So, okay, let's go, let's go here then. Um, Eric Rowe, um, the, 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 um, yeah. they moved him for cornerback to safety last year, and he quietly had a really good season. Um, he played for the Eagles and the, and the Patriots, and he never really found his right position. And they, they use him as a tight end eraser, and he's a guy who I think um, is going to end up being one of their better players on defense this year in year two of that scheme. Um, and he's a guy that I think you'll hear more of his name uh, in 2020. Right. I believe he got an extension this offseason as well, right? Yep. Yes, That's, he did. Okay, last one here. And something that I've realized with this podcast is since I started it, that I have a bunch of young listeners who want to be involved in sports. What would be one piece of advice for those type of people? Um, create your own lane. Um, you can't be the the next Stephen A or the next, you know, Adam Schefter. Um, you could be the next you. Um, and, Whatever your particular voice is, whatever makes you unique, um, maximize that. This is an industry that's evolved quite a bit, um, and we need more different personalities, whether that's minorities, whether that's women, whether that's people who have a unique niche. Um, master that and, and get versatility of everything else. Be just good enough in everything else so that you can be effective, and then separate yourself by being different. That's just great advice right there, and it's so true. Be yourself, do your thing, keep on growing, and um, you'll see the results. Cameron, I really appreciate the time. Thank you for coming on the podcast. Stay safe, stay strong, and we'll chat again soon. Absolutely. Thank you. So there it is. That was my discussion with Cameron Wolf of ESPN. Special thanks to him for coming on the podcast this week and opening up a little bit about the reality of what is happening and what has happened in this country in regards to race relations. I highly encourage everyone to let others listen as well. Open up your ears and listen to what he had to say. In regards to the Miami Dolphins, if, you listen, if you've listened to the podcast in the past, you know that I really like what they've done. 
And I truly believe that this is a team that is not only going in the right direction, but could be a serious, serious threat in the AFC in a couple of years. That wraps up this week's My Sports Update football podcast. Thank you all for listening. Thank you all for downloading. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast if you have not done so yet. If you have any questions, any tips, or you want to suggest a guest to come on the podcast, leave that in the reviews as well. I'll take a look. I am your host, Ari Merov. I'll be back for another episode next week. We have another special guest lined up to come on. Please, everybody, stay safe out there. I'll talk to you all next week.